Welcome to the HC Insider Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the commodities sector and the people within it. I'm your host, Paul Chapman. Before we start, I want to make a quick request. It would really help support the show, both in growing our audience as well as our guest list, if you could leave us a rating and a review on your podcasting platform. Those algorithms promote those podcasts that consistently get reviewed and with positive ratings. So it would really help support us and what we're doing with the HC Insider podcast. Today we're talking biogas, more particularly biomethane, renewable natural gas. Whilst it has a relatively small market penetration today in Europe and the US, it's expected to grow substantially over the next decade, supported by decarbonisation policies. It represents real value as well in terms of reducing greenhouse gas emissions, taking what would be waste product, emitting a methane directly into the atmosphere and turning that into carbon neutral fuel source, replacing fossil hydrocarbons. Our guest is John Rose. John has had a 20 year career in the energy and agri markets, working for the likes of Cargill and Coke, and for the last five years has been focused on sustainability issues and biogas itself where he is Chief Commercial Officer of Asset Finance Partners based in the UK. John, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So we're talking biogas, biomethane, renewable natural gas, the global market today, the structure of that market, and then what sounds like, I think at the end of this conversation, we, we might all agree is a, a phenomenal opportunity for both decarbonization as well as a market opportunity. Can you help, before we dig into the market structure and various incentives that are in place in the developed world and beyond, and the costs associated with that to the infrastructure, can you just give us the basics? Give us the, the terms, the definitions, what is biogas, how is it made, what are we looking at? Absolutely. So biogas comes from the decomposition of organic materials in an oxygen-free environment which is anaerobic digestion. So anaerobic being lack of oxygen, that those feedstocks that you put into a digester over time will decompose. And through that process will release methane, which is um, CH4. And we know uh, what a problem methane is currently globally. And this is one unique way to address that issue. There are a lot of different materials that can go into making biogas. Uh, some of the larger ones are landfill gas, uh, animal manures, you have crop residues, then you have municipal solid waste, and then you have food waste. And those seem to be the largest categories around the world that, that are used to generate biogas. So back to the digester in the plant itself, this is to put into the digester it's retained into that system for X number of days, let's call it 20 to 30 days on average around the world, which is called an HRT retention time. And during that process, it's broken down. It goes through four stages, hydrolysis, acidosis, acidogenesis, and methogenesis, which breaks it down eventually into biogas, which is composed of methane, which is anywhere roughly, depending on your feedstock, 50 to 65% of, of, of the biogas, with the balance being CO2 and some trace elements, um, H2S and oxygen being those trace elements. That is then upgraded where it is refined and, and 
basically improve to make biomethane. And that's done by putting through scrubbers. Uh, there are four types, but mainly um, a membrane system will take that and remove the CO2 and the impurities. The net result from there is you have biomethane, which is a completely organic source and a completely renewable energy source that can be used to go into pipelines or to be put back through CHP for electricity production. So the magic of this is you get real bang for your buck from a greenhouse gas emission standpoint, because traditionally this stuff is either just going to be left to rot and release methane into the air, which is 28 times more powerful than CO2 as a greenhouse gas. Correct. Or it's going to be burnt, particularly in the developing world, directly as a fuel. That's right. But here, in this circumstance, you're converting that into, into methane that can be used as a natural gas as a fuel source, displacing, this is the cru crucial bit, the fossilized carbon that would otherwise be extracted from the earth. Because the key bit here is biogas is carbon neutral, and as well as removing you know, itself, and also removes all that methane. Correct. So it, in, it, it is in that sense, quite a huge untapped resource because of the world's bio-waste at the moment that's currently just rotting and releasing that methane. Very little of it, in fact, you know, less than 1% is converted into a usable gas, thus tackling both those two issues at the same time. Right. You touch on a couple key points there. One, the waste issue. Depending what statistics you look at, for example, we'll take the World Biogas Association. They will claim there's X billions of tons of organic waste that are produced every year with, with as you mentioned, one to 2% is remediated. So we have a huge potential there if, if we're able to capture those waste tons and put it through an AD system. And then touching back on renewable energy from that aspect, biogas is one of the few sources globally that is carbon neutral and in certain in jurisdictions, it's considered carbon negative. And we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit in more detail. But that's what's so exciting about this market is you're remediating two issues at once, the ability to provide carbon neutral energy, either for transport or for the grid. And then you're also addressing the waste problems that we have uh, in many parts of the world. We should say up front, right, the thermodynamics professors is, of course, <laughs> this does require significant infrastructure and actually that upgrading to biomethane takes the scrubbing and the, and the energy put in as well. So the reason why this doesn't exist today is it doesn't, it's not economical uh, standalone, you know, except in certain circumstances where you're not connected to the grid and you can use land, you know, landfill clearly mm -hmm. has some, uh, it's very efficient in that sense. But this is something that exists ultimately with a, a GHG mission attached to it and governmental incentives. Correct. And, and that is what has allowed this market to really grow exponentially uh, throughout Europe and the United States and other jurisdictions as well, too. It is that ability to provide biogenic energy, which is, again, carbon negative in certain areas and carbon neutral in other areas. So it's... Um, quite the energy source, and it's one that's going to continue to grow rapidly. Can you, before we dig into the current state of the market, can you just tee up some of the history of this, give us a general landscape of particularly Europe and the US and, and how the market's grown? Started in the UK in the late 1800s, 
mainly on sewage treatment, and that was done in Exeter to treat and to provide district lighting in that town. And then it expanded from there, and it's grown significantly on the continent to where there are over 19,000 of these units across the continent with close to a thousand gas grid RNG slash biomethane plants. In the UK today, the market is is very robust and, and developed. Now back here in the US, we're in the early stages of that growth, but we are seeing the doubling and tripling of the market in over a five-year period. Before we sort of come on to the various incentives in place, which ultimately has meant that Europe is bigger than the US and perhaps the opportunity is is very much in the US at the moment, but also globally. I just want to touch a little bit more on the sources of biogas and how they stack up against one another. So varying sources of biogas, as we mentioned, the key ones, landfill gas being very large, then you have animal manure, food waste, and then you would have crop residues as well too. And how they stack up from a cost perspective, landfill gas being the cheapest globally, you can see estimates that that can dispatch between some of the cheaper ones around $5 an MMBTU. Some analyst consultants will say roughly $7 to $14 for your average landfill per M globally seems to be the number there. Then we move on to our animal manures, which will dispatch around 18 to 25 an MMBTU on average. Food waste being roughly in the same, same area. And that that will cover the bulk of your output of biogases. And okay, so the engineering process is going to be the same for each, or I guess with the exception of landfill, where it kind of does it for you. Right. So this is where where the trick lies. Um, landfill being the easiest to operate and providing the most output, it gets significantly diff- difficult from there as we put the feedstock into the digester, we have to make sure the biology of that is exactly correct. It's well-balanced and that it's right on, that the pH levels are right on balance and we're not putting the wrong type of feedstock to continually feed that. So we need to watch that and that requires a lot of CapEx, O&M, and people at the plant to ensure that the gas yield that you're getting out of your digester is consistent and that you're not overheating your feedstock while it's in the digester, underheating it, mixing it too hard, or mixing it not enough. Whereas with landfill gas, it's, it's to be rather crude, it's literally pumps in the ground, removing the methane from, from the trash. So the other types of biogas are significantly more difficult to operate. Are we talking a, there are dedicated engineering firms to this, I guess, in Europe? Like, what's the sort of the Absolutely. EPC piece of this that tackles that element? We're starting to see emerge some of the larger EPCs come out of Europe, mainly German, Dutch, and Danish firms. There are some in Canada as well, too, one that we work with in particular. And they have dedicated staff to go around and do the day-to-day O&M of these plants, who will put teams on the ground to go around and check on the digester health, the biology, where they'll take samples and review that to make sure that your pH balance is correct, your FOSTAC is on. And then they have annual maintenance checkups where these teams are going to make sure your CHP engine's operating the feeder and the hopper going into the plant are, 
are up to date, the machinery's consistent, your upgrader is performing as it should. So it's a very active process. One vis-a-vis -vis wind or solar, one other type of renewable, whereby you can somewhat park and just watch <laughs> yeah. the, the production of such. Whereas with biogas, you need to be very active. You need to be at the plant. You need to ensure that your O&M provider or your in-house staff is monitoring what's going into the plant and that it's being maintained properly. We see throughout the world many of these plants where certain investors or backers have taken a hands-off approach, and that that is not a recipe for success longer term. And have those, because obviously we're talking here about significant input costs compared to, as you say, solar, where even if the panels get out of date, you just swap them out, right? Right. It's a very different beast. You've got more significant costs in input and an operational OPEX on this as well. Right. Have those costs dropped significantly in the last, you know, as Europe, as the market has matured in particularly in Europe, or do we still expect to see that? Still expecting to see that come as the plants scale and get larger and you can create economies of scale, I think I think that's where the cost reductions will really start to bite. Yeah. Okay, so let's zoom in on Europe, and then we can talk about Asia and then the US as growing market opportunities. And certainly, I don't know Europe is as well, but perhaps it's, you know, it is a more mature market. Can you just set us up firstly with what's the incentive background available in Europe and then go on to sort of the participants and so forth. But yeah, can you just first, what's the regulatory framework that overlays in Europe that has led to this, led to the greater penetration? Right. So on the continent, it will fall under the Renewable Energy Directive. And in the UK, it will fall under either the RTFO, the Renewable Transportation Fuel Obligation, or the Green Gas Support Scheme. These programs oversee the output of biogas for electricity or for gas and gas going into pipelines for power generation or for transport. And they're very strict in terms of the regulations on the feedstock that you can put in. And then they have very stringent carbon intensity requirements as well too. So the Europeans are taking a very aggressive approach vis-a-vis -vis the U.S in terms of looking at the feedstock going into the actual AD plant slash digester to ensure that the focus now, Paul, is increasingly becoming on making sure waste feedstocks go into these and that we are not simply growing energy crop or maize silage, rye silage to put in there to make biogas. So these regulations have tightened down and they assign carbon intensity score depending on the feedstock. And if you go through the list under Annex 9 of the RED, or if you look on the RTFO in the UK, you will see that they are favoring greatly waste feedstocks. And this is the real area of growth that we're seeing across the continent. Are there any disincentives um, around just allowing that waste to decompose without any capture? Sure. You're seeing very stringent rules and regulations called MVZ in the UK, for example, where you are not allowed to spread back to your land certain digestate. So you have that. Then you have an increasing landfill problem across Europe. 
as we know, Europe has uh, got a population that's exceedingly more dense than the U.S. So there isn't land space to give, frankly, in Europe. So they've got to be more mindful about their landfill, what they're putting in. So we've seen landfill taxes increase across Europe. There are more regulations coming into place, and that is exasperated by a lot of export bans that we've seen come out of Southeast Asia and China for certain types of waste. So it's being forced back to the source, and we're seeing an increasing need to remediate such at the source. Yeah. So how much penetration is there in the, can you give us somewhat sense of scale of the biogas industry and, and its previous growth in Europe? Sure. It's tied to government incentives. So for electricity, let's say the FIT, the feed-in tariff, most of, of, of the UK and Europe, that was increasing through 2014. So you saw the build-outs, the bulk of the build-outs come between 2012 and 2016. And you saw doubling across Europe in, in the number of plants between that period. That is tailed off as they digressed that subsidy, whether it be RHI for, for heat, gas, or fit for electricity, as those incentives, government subsidies have, have shrunk, the number of new builds has started to plateau a bit. We've seen those change recently, and we expect that the program will start increasing again, and you're going to see more biomethane and RNG projects across Europe. And who's participating in this? I mean, are we seeing this is waste management companies getting into energy? Is this traditional utilities? Are traders getting involved? What's the market structure from a participant standpoint? Changing daily. So <laughs> what we are seeing, the push, in my opinion, is coming from the oil and gas companies, particularly for their transportation needs. Under rules and regulations across Europe, analogous to what we have in the US, X percent of their feedstock for fuel and transport must come from renewable sources. Let's call it on average about 10%. So the push comes from, from the oil majors to procure renewable energy sources for their transportation needs. And that's where we're seeing the greatest growth. That has brought in some utilities as well. And now we're seeing the traders come into the market as well too. I'm allowed to ask my stupid question once per episode, but are we talking compressed natural gas directly into fleets or how is RNG, renewable natural gas, ending up in transportations? That's the way it does, through CNG, correct. Yeah. There's also the option for LNG, but mainly through CNG. You mentioned there that the traders are getting involved, who are obviously a key audience to this podcast. What are we starting to see in Europe, uh, as that will probably presage what we'll see happening in, in the US in the next decade? I would think so. I'm seeing on the continent is a willingness to go asset heavy and to procure those assets and to get in on the ground floor and then to, and to put that optionality on their books between gas and power and then to be able to play between a subsidized market and then have that flexibility when the net back is there to go to the transportation markets. So I think that's the real appeal that we're seeing across Europe. And just in terms of the numbers, can you just give us some sense of what role biogas, biomethane is playing in overall natural gas consumption in Europe? Very small. It's going to be 2 to 3% at this point. Yeah. I was looking at the US projections and it's right now in the US it's 0.1%. Right. But projected to go to 11% over the next decade. 
certain forecasts will call it up to 11%. So there's significant upside there. And what's going to drive that will be economies of scale plus regulations mandating that we handle a lot of this waste stream coupled with, again, it must be coupled with increasing and let's call it increasing focus on transportation, providing renewable transportation fuels. So in Europe at the moment, what we're not necessarily seeing, while all these incentives are tied to transportation, that's always going to be limiting because CNG isn't really a penetrating fuel source. Well, in Italy, it is to a large extent, right? So there is there is good penetration in Italy for it. Yeah. But outside of that, you're correct. It seems to me what would unlock this is the capacity just to inject, okay, treated and two standard biomethane directly into the natural gas grid and with an incentive to do so. Correct. And suddenly that would be quite a compelling growth story or incentive across the board. That, and then let me also add another layer if I could. In certain jurisdictions, there are caps on the plant size. So output is capped, for example, in the UK under their transportation for biomethane, the first 60 gigawatt hours of plant gets a certain subsidy, then the next 40 gets a digressed subsidy, and then above that combined, above 100, it gets a, a minimal subsidy. So what this has done is it's created markets across Europe that the plants are scaled to those subsidies. So it's somewhat reverse engineered rather than what we have in certain markets and certain energy that you find where you have centralized large-scale plants that can drive down the cost and produce very efficiently at short-run marginal costs are very low. We have a bifurcated market with a lot of small operations. So if that were to change and you could get large centralized biogas facilities, then you'd find the cost to go down significantly. Why aren't there schemes in place for just direct reward for putting biogas, biomethane into the natural gas grid? You can, going back to the grid, but to do it in scale when it's capped, that's the pro- right. th- That's the limit. And from conversations I've had with varying parties, they will say, look, we've seen what's happened in the US. We've seen that they're growing energy crops. And that's the phrase you use in Europe, which is maize, corn, for the sole purpose of making it into transportation fuel. If we limit the size of the plant, that won't happen because we want these plants to handle just waste. And we don't want to see energy crops grown just to make transportation fuel because we believe that is not energy efficient when all is added up and calculated. So there's that school of thought. Yeah. Yeah. One we've covered on in the renewable diesel episodes that we've done as well. Okay. So that gives us a, a good backdrop of Europe accelerated by greater incentive schemes available there. Where are we at in the US where we just have the LCFS and the renewable fuel standards. So basically transportation focused uh, again. Right. So the two key programs and, and, and what allowed the market in the U.S. to grow, to experience this, this large build-out program that's ongoing today has been LCFS and RFS. With LCFS, state of California and low carbon fuel standard, and specifically for transportation, as it looks 
at the carbon intensity of the fuels, and this is where biogas becomes so critical to this, it is scored on the carbon intensity. Thus, those with lower carbon intensity will be rewarded. It's economically better to supply those which are lower carbon intensity. That is determined by a model, a GREET model, which was developed by the Argonne National Laboratory outside Chicago, and that's used by CARB, the California Air Resources Board, to an extent, and they will look at the life cycle analysis of your feedstock, and they will put into a spreadsheet and say, okay, you're using this feedstock to go in. This is the carbon intensity score that you will derive. And a lot of biogas is negative, meaning you are taking away greenhouse gas emissions, basically. And that is one of the key drivers for biogas, the other being the RFS. In 2014, there was a change to the program allowing D3 RINs to be to be con, uh, biogas to qualify for the D3 RINs. This suddenly made a lot of projects around the U.S. economic. So if we look through the growth in the U.S., you know we were hovering around 30, 40 plants for years. The exact numbers today I, I, I can rattle off, but we're we're going to be close to 190 plants operational, I believe, today on RNG, uh, 189 to be exact, 146 under construction, 95 planned, 430. And that growth has been 2, 3x with those changes in the RFS and then the LCFS starting in 2017, increasing, doubling in value. So those two factors brought a lot of growth to the U.S. market. And who's bringing that growth? What types of organizations are are leading the fray and, and, and where are we at on that side? Again, oil and gas, those who are short into the transportation markets will be the, the demand drivers of that. We are also seeing utilities as well, very well known and publicized. You've seen Vepco, SoCal Gas, DTE, Duke, uh, Centerpoint, Northwest Natural, they are increasing their exposure to RNG. You have pipeline companies out. Kinder just recently made a major acquisition. You see Williams uh, mixed in there as well. And now we're also seeing that coupled with traders become active in the market as well too. So we're seeing good growth across a wide spectrum of participants in the U.S., and we'll come to it in a, in a moment about the future. You've got a, I guess, an incentive backdrop that seems only positive for the the RNG space. Absolutely. So you've got the <laughs> base. You've got a number of waste creators, right? Whether that is societies and landfills, but you know, let's talk about livestock producers, other waste producers from the from the ag sector. Are they yet valuing that waste? You know, or is this another one of those, it's a, I'll pay you to take it away. And actually this could be converted into a huge opportunity by those savvy enough to sign up long-term agreements <laughs> right now. And well, <laughs> where are we at on that side of things? Okay. So let's start in Europe first. You are starting to see what we've seen on feedstock prices is those have tightened. You are starting to see more and more players actually where it was a tipping fee or gate fee where you got paid to take it. At times you are now paying to get that. So whether it's slaughterhouse waste or manures, with chicken litter being 
chicken muck being the most expensive because it has the highest gas yield potential. So that is coming across Europe where people are paying for feedstocks. There are pockets where you still get paid to take it as well. Here in the U.S., it is changing and changing rapidly. For dairy, you are you may have to pay a per head fee annually. And then certain large processors will want some economic gain and some won't. So it, it's kind of the wild west in that respect. And opportunity still it's at the early stages are to get in and, and to have those ag- discussions and get working on those agreements today. Because you can assume, roughly speaking, in a decade's time, those producers will be not only charged for the fact that they produce an untreated waste, will also start to recognize that it will have a, a value um, Absolutely. if it is creating, creating biogas. Again, if we go back and look at the LCFS and their carbon intensity, how valuable this waste can be. In many instances, the waste will be worth more than the animal itself. So I would expect a lot of people to focus on this. And as you're seeing in the renewable diesel space, you've seen some major acquisitions lately to get those those feedstocks. And I expect that will come over to certain aspects of the biogas space as well, too, on a global basis. Yeah. Finally, before we sort of move on to the future opportunity, can you just, what's going on in the other large economies in the world, China, India, what are we seeing with regards to bio, biogas, biomethane? Right. Nascent stages, very hard to get statistics around, growing demand, uh, a lot of emphasis there. And what makes Asia such the growth story is you have densely packed populations without a lot of spare land. So this is the perfect type of environment for biogas. You have um, large agricultural programs, and then you simply don't have the land for landfills there. And landfills that are available are, are filling up rapidly. So there is a great need to remediate that waste and to provide renewables as well, too. So there, there's just tremendous growth coming out of Asia right now. Yeah. Particularly in, in island nations, Japan, Korea, et cetera. I think we've got a, a really good foundation of the market and, and what biogas is. All of this is really ultimately a story about the next decade and decarbonization. Right. In your mind, what would truly unlock this market bearing in mind of course that it's it standalone isn't economical as isn't as Correct. economical as digging unleashing natural gas from the earth uh, from the earth itself and burning that for free it's a, a very different beast but what what would really accelerate the penetration of biogas and, and indeed the public's awareness of it first uh would be expansion of waste regulations and you're starting to see that in europe whereby There are increasingly stringent rules around what can be spread to land and not what can't be. So I think that would help. More than that, though, would be the expansion to what we would call an RPS here in the U.S., whereby biogas being used um, for electricity. And then I think on electrification as well. So there's a lot of talk of... An uh, ERIN where biogas may be used um, and qualify under LCFS for ERINs. That would be a program changer. 
also the expansion of the LCFS, pardon me, to other states. We're seeing that it's rolled out to Oregon now. It's gone to Washington. There's discussions that Wisconsin could be next in the state of New York. So I think if programs like that are spread throughout the U.S., that will lay the foundation for significant growth. Mm. You're seeing, obviously, the the liberals in in Canada have the, the you know the carbon tax initiative. Where does biogas fall out with with that? Does central to what they're doing, and it's a very large program. We're seeing it in British Columbia, again through an LCFS program. There's a lot of interest to procure in British Columbia, so I'd expect that to grow. And then with carbon tax coming. I think that could be a game changer as well globally. And thank you for pointing that out because I missed that. And that that is central. You know, if we get a European style pricing, let's say it's 60 euros a ton, which is where we're at now, suddenly the world changes for biogas significantly. Yeah. Just taking, let's assume you have that backdrop and this becomes a more valuable fuel source with its carbon intensity and so forth. Is this going to be something where you think the we will see, uh, you know, much like actually what we've seen in renewable fuels, you know, liquid fuels side, of an actively traded market of both the credits and the product itself? I think it has to get there. Again, I don't know another renewable energy source that can provide the optionality while providing carbon intensity like biogas can. So it lies at the crux of a, of remediating a lot of problems and it's at its nascent stage so i think you're going to see a lot of people come into the market and get interested in it and maybe they don't want to spend the capex to go out and and operate the plant therefore they'll do trading they'll do marketing around that where does this sit at the moment in the context of cop 26 is is there growing support uh, you know because there are some detractors you know who right. feel that this is a one of the challenges is that this is a way for the existing oil and gas businesses and infrastructure to prolong its own existence Correct. <laughs> instead right. of just going straight for electrification right you can't electrify everything so those hard to reach areas that are hard to electrify heavy transport etc we all know biogas is a good bridge to get there it doesn't require any additional capex to put into existing pipelines that's well known we can use it as cng today so therefore it is one of the more economic ways to go about decarbonizing vis-a-vis some of the alternatives such as green hydrogen blue hydrogen so back to cop 26 a lot of the critique we're seeing come out of the uk is that the government there hasn't put enough emphasis on it that they've made a lot of focus on hydrogen you know the five gigs and then carbon sequestration and not and they haven't done enough to promote biogas in the uk so that's one criticism that i've seen come across the press why is that is that just a a fashion and trend you know what i, I would argue <laughs> yes that 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 the hot topic right now is, is green hydrogen and then carbon sequestration. Remember, in the UK, they've agreed to create some economic zones and projects to handle carbon sequestration and to invest in in green hydrogen. Both of which are, well, certainly in the case of carbon sequestration, are one of the key things that I don't think we've emphasized it enough here is that biogas, and this is, you know, I, I don't want to sound like I'm proselytizing it. I don't have a, <laughs> a dog in this race, but the 
it, we, we are talking about terrestrial carbon here. Right. You know, it, while CO2 is, released, is biogenic carbon, which is transformatively different to releasing more carbon into the atmosphere from fossil sources. Right. So many parts of the world will say it's not a greenhouse gas since it's biogenic in, in nature. Remember, coming from organic sources, therefore, I don't have to worry about greenhouse gas emissions from such. So it's not getting necessarily the airplay it should have or potentially should have at, at COP26. It seems like a powerful story. It seems like ultimately, like all of these renewable fuels, it's ultimately based on legislation and policy support. Correct. Outside of, again, some, I, I say this because my, not to share too much, but my, uh, my dad ran a brick factory and their kiln was f- fueled and fired by the landfill gas <laughs> coming from the, the quarry that was then filled up with landfill. So, you know, there are circumstances where this is actually an organization can just use this independently on, in an economical basis. Correct. But they are all at base need this policy support. And it seems that policy support is coming. So let's put that to the side. What other hurdles are there to this, you know, to, to limit biogas's potential to be, again, 10% of the US gas market? This is the rub. And historically, these plants, in many instances, have not operated well. And, and let's, let's spend a second talking about why that is. It's very common across Europe to find cases where a farmer has a half meg AD plant or a quarter meg, and that plant hasn't run well for varying reasons. Uh, farmers are very good at farming. Biogas is, is, is a separate item, though, and you have to have dedicated time and people there overseeing the process, making sure it's being managed properly. So therefore, the industry has suffered to its detriment from poor performance in many instances. And I would, I would urge all to make sure you have the right EPC partner going in and then to understand how you're going to handle O&M going forward. I'm a big believer in, in professionalized third-party services who know what they're doing, have a proven track record, and many instances can provide you a wrap on the output where they're financial incentives to reach certain capacity utilizations of the unit. So I'd urge people to look at that. So that that would be the first hurdle that we've got to get over is, is better operational history. And that's being addressed. There are many companies out there who know what they're doing, who are very good at it. So make sure you have the right partner and they have a track record and they have the ability to build, design it and get it going and operate well. Second issue has been the size and scale. It it hasn't been institutionalized in the sense that we've seen in other commodities, whereby it's too bifurcated and we need to build centralized units that will get in cheaper capital and more interested parties so that can be provided an output in size and scale. Yeah. Well, I think that gives us a really good analysis and um you know some uh, some cautious warnings there but it certainly sounds i've really appreciated your time and it's um frankly it's been a new market for me to understand as you say the the opportunity seems immense if if the stars start to align and we're, we're already seeing growing awareness of some of the challenges around climate change and and a push to decarbonization is very much on on every government's right. agenda and it seems biogas is uh 
top of mind or, or, or could be a, a solution? We're really at a unique time. Increasing focus on waste remediation plus the need for the right carbon intensity generation for either your, your power or your transport and biogas does that. And the returns that are offered in this market are, are frankly eye-watering if you can get everything to align properly. So I think it's a very unique market and one I'm really excited about. Well, John, thank you so much for your time and um, look forward to having you on again in a couple of years and, uh, and seeing where the market's at. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the show, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. To find out more about HC Insider and Human Capital, a search firm dedicated to the commodities sector, go to www.hcinsider.global, where you'll find more original content on the commodities sector and more details on our offering as a search firm and our locations around the world. Thanks again for listening.